Hey, this is Jeff Gannon, and you're listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast, the podcast where Andrew and I talk general investing concepts. To get even more content from me and Andrew, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from me each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday, and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200-plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com app or wherever apps are sold. And now here's Andrew with your regularly scheduled podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to the co-founder, Cashtag G-E-O-F-F, Jeff Gannon. How's it going today? Uh, it's going well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. In today's video, we are going to be going over how you use Edgar. Yes. SEC.gov. Obviously, we live in this. Is this your home? So is it is my home page, and not only is it my home page, but I was I, say that as a joke, and it yeah, actually is. no, it's, it's my home page, and it redirects any block site directly there too. So well, I use it for, um, yeah. So I I use a what a blocker things to have on to block from any sites like you know like you have Twitter open there to block from anything that could be a waste of time, and it redirects it automatically to the SEC site. In fact, it redirects it to the company search page. Good for so you. actually, if you look. The one, if you click that one there, company search, company search, then um, you'll get this page. And this, in fact, is the page that I have. The other homepages I use is OTC Markets for looking up stocks because it's the simplest for like looking up any stocks there. Uh And um, it, that, uh, you know, it doesn't have anything else from like Yahoo Finance uh, would have, you know, nonsense there that like, you know, news and ads and things like that. OTC Markets basically allows me to just, you know, uh, look up tickers that way and stuff. So those are the two sites I use all the time is SEC site and the, and the, I mean, the Agri site and the OTC Market site. Awesome. Okay. So how do we use it? (laughs) Okay. So So first you put in the name. Yes. Now, what do you want to use? Okay, so here's the thing. Depends. You can only search for the most commonly searched companies unless they've updated it now. So, for instance, uh, you would be able to search for, let's say, um, uh, let's try ARK restaurants. So, ARK would be A-R-K-R. It will immediately show it up, no problem, right? Yep. And, but that's a NASDAQ stock, right? Mm-hmm. So, But we could also do some uh, stocks that aren't NASDAQ stocks and stuff. So if we do, um, if we try out, like, let's say, uh, here's one I don't think will work, George Risk. So George Risk's ticker is RSKIA, won't work. RSKIA. But the second one, it is working now? It is working. Okay. So the SEC's updated that then. So because of that, it now autofills that with things like that. It used to be that you couldn't do that. That is something like George Risk wouldn't be enough, uh, wouldn't be a common enough one. This so thing is new as thousand. of like, what, a couple months ago, I feel like. Yeah, I knew the interface was new, but I wasn't sure if it updated that. So it now is doing search where you can do that for anything. So if you know the ticker, you can do it. If you don't know the ticker, you can use the name. Um, it is a company in person lookup. So I do actually use it for that purpose, too, to find information on people who would show up in SEC filings and companies, but are not publicly traded. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you want to use George Risk? Sure. Okay, so so once you're there, you'll see this, and you can look on the left-hand side, which gives you an idea under filings of uh, what filings they have and what's happened with it. So here, we see immediately some interesting things. The company failed to file a 10K. Mm-hmm. Um, notification of failure to timely file the 10K, right? But then immediately file the 10K. 
uh, like within 14 days or something, yeah. which probably tells you they're just late in their filings, but that there's not some big deal thing. It, it might be there's a big deal thing, but if we looked at Tandy and stuff, they'd have a failure to file and then like a really long time they still haven't filed. In addition to that, you have these amendments, right? So if you look, there's 10QA, 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 10KA. They did something that amended the filings for almost all of those in the, on the same day. One's a different day. Do you but. feel like you've been seeing a lot of amendments lately? I feel like I have. Yeah. Is that just the companies we've been looking at? I don't know. But I feel like there's a lot of companies I've been looking at lately that they've uh, amended past filing. Okay. And then there's also the C-O-R-R-E-S-P means correspondence. And you could look at that if you click that document. It'll be correspondence with the SEC. So you file name onehtm And then you see here the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission Division of Corporate Finance wrote this thing and sent something to them. Now, the problem with these comments and things uh, that are difficult often, the same thing is true if they get comments from a lawyer, auditor, et cetera, is that they sometimes refer to it like referring to your letter of the 15th or whatever, our responses are to your point one, here's our point. So you have to go back and read the other thing that they had. Mm -hmm. um, and so here you have things that, uh, you know, um, it explains why they had to do uh, uh, update things, right? And mm -hmm. then there's a response from the company. Um, this is important, the correspondence thing, when it's what the SEC is saying seems serious in terms of they don't like the way that they're presenting the company or something like that. And that's more common. Um, these are common errors. They have... Um, uh, George Risk had... Remember, we looked at George Risk one time and they had a, a very... Uh, an error where they listed the wrong number of shares outstanding. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, I believe the CEO and CFO are like the same person and that she took over after her dad died. So they probably have a very hard time meeting the requirements to file these things on the time that they do and they make errors all the time. Um, that would be my guess as to what this is all about. So and you can see that. Um, if they're having problems with that kind of stuff. There are sometimes errors in filings and stuff. We were just talking the other day where there were some errors where I think they imported things badly from an Excel thing or something like that. Mm -hmm. I've seen mistakes where they um, uh, have sort of like just paragraphs and things that shouldn't be there that they copied from the last time it was there. So uh, that's more common in trying to really get a 10Q out really fast or something. Mm -hmm. So if we go down, so that's your 10Ks. If you go down, you see your 8Ks and things like that. If you see an 8K without a 10 Q at the same time, it means that it's not just a press release. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, with George Risk, you can see that they have a failure file over and over again, but that they then quickly file afterwards. If we go to Tandy now, so if we go up to the top and then type in uh, TLF by going, we, you have to go to the company search. So you just press back TLF. It's now TLFA. So let's see if it works. Yep. Um, you'll see that they have a failure file that is different. Um, this is actually a little frustrating about how it works now because uh, no, you can't just click yeah like actually click it yeah uh, you know if you know an exact thing it actually works better so here's what an is going thing, right? on here a lot of 8ks <laughs> without any filing so this is what stands out to you right away is like where's the 10q where's the 10k normally there's a lot of 10 so for companies that are really boring and small and aren't filing with the public what you'll notice is it just goes 10k 10q 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 10k with almost no 8ks and things like that almost no updates on anything sometimes occasional um updates on share or ownership and stuff, but basically not a lot of 8Ks, but a lot of 10Ks and, and 10Qs. Now, so if we scroll down, and I like to use it th this way, as opposed to a lot of people just like to type in 10K or 10Q right away and yeah. then find it. Yeah. I don't like doing that because if you do that, there's a few things that are wrong with it. One, I think the search is very specific. So like I think a 10, uh, 10 then a hyphen, then a K will not show up if I'm right, uh, 10K SBs. And things like that. So you could have filed in the past as like a small business or something. I don't think it'll show that up. So one is that the search 
parameters could be too narrow. You know, this is a government thing, so it could be a little not user-friendly. But then the other one is I like to see the actual filings and things and go back myself, see the dates and everything, see everything that may have been filed in between. Mm -hmm. So if we go down, you'll see when was the last time they actually filed a 10K or a 10Q. So this, there you go. So they had an on, inability to file it, which is back on 2019, 8-15. So August 15th. So we're a little over a year ago, mm -hmm. a year and a week ago. When did they actually file the last 10Q? The last 10Q filed was on May 10th, 2019, which should mean if their quarter ends at the end of uh, March, probably. If we click that, you can click documents. But what that probably means is that our last balance sheet for this company was at the end of... Um, uh, the balance sheet I'm betting is at the uh, March of 2019. So that's a year and what, I mean, right now we're at a year and, you know, 16 months ago, basically. Mm -hmm. In fact, it'll be longer than that. Um, and so we have these current assets and everything, but it's way out of date. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that, of course, is if we go to things like QuickFS, if we go to any of those things, remember, they're going to use the filing. So when we go and look at that, when we see things about their um, results, if we looked like on a quarterly basis and stuff, because are you logged in there? Yeah, I am. Yeah. So if you go to balance sheet, what it'll probably be showing us is the balance sheet from then uh, if you go to quarterly. Uh, so if you go to instead of annual, go to click it and switch to quarterly. What you should see is the balance sheet match up. Uh, yeah, March 2019. And it's showing the right amount. Yep. Mm -hmm. So it is using a balance sheet there for everything that it's calculating that is based on uh, stuff that's out of date now and that we know to be out of date. Mm -hmm. And so you could look at the 8Ks and stuff for Tandy and um, find out things that they've updated since then. And they've updated little bits, but not a lot because they can't say much to the SEC when they're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, what I think is happening with them is they're being delisted and then they'll maybe we'll choose not to file with the SEC or whatever they eventually decide once mm -hmm. they're delisted. But then that might free them up to talk more openly about things. Sure. Yeah. So if we go back, there's other things that we can look for. What about in here? Do you ever look at anything? In, in Depends what it says. So here's it says preferability letter and things like that. Corporate logo. You can see what the exhibits are. Certain exhibits matter a lot. So uh, a very common. So the common ones that you'll notice are exhibit 99 point something, 99.1, 99.2, 99.3. And in addition to that, uh, 13. Those are the two that'll stand out to you usually. The one there's certain you can ignore. It, the here you can see the exhibits you can ignore like 31 and 31.2 and stuff because those are all just standard ones for the certification. So it's just a letter that the CEO or CFO signed and they have to sign every one. It's a Sarbanes Oxley thing. Um, so going back from that, if we go back, let's try to find one where uh, let's go to NACO NC. So if we go back to the company search. Sometimes you'll see like employment contracts in there and other things like yes. that. Yes, you can see purchase agreements in there from mm -hmm. some companies. Uh, George Risk did file a purchase agreement one time because it was very material to their business. So if we go to the 10K, uh, actually you could type in 10K for this one. <laughs> and then by doing that, go to the not the first 10K, but the second 10K. Okay, scroll down. All right, so you see a lot of exhibits here, mm -hmm. right? So let's try exhibit 90. Try exhibit 99, but I think the one I want is... Nine. Try exhibit 99, yeah. Yeah. So here we have exhibit 99, which is a very interesting exhibit for NACO. This is the audited combined financial statements of the unconsolidated mines of the North American Coal Company. Now, when I've looked, uh, talked to people who've looked at NACO and stuff, what you'll notice is they do not mention that actually NACO has been filing these, which show us detailed information on their joint ventures, what are sort of like joint ventures. The, the way these are arranged for NACO are very complicated from an accounting perspective. But NACO 
owns 100% of their cash flows, basically, but the customer puts up 100% of the capital. So as a result, they do not consolidate these. And they're interesting because we can look at what they looked like at the end of 2018 and stuff. We can see what the property was like. Like, for instance, PP&E was $1.1 billion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you can just see other items like that. So if we go down, you can see some things that tip you off to things like um, if we look at the dividends, uh, which would be a good one to do. Yeah, here we go. So you have some hints here. Like, for instance, you have retained earnings. You'll notice that retained earnings, there's something weird going on here because retained earnings are $3 million, uh, but the balance sheet is $1 billion. So that's a very small amount of retained earnings. So that's odd. And then if you go down further, you can see why that is. Um, this is detail that they provide by giving information anyway to the to the public. Um but if you look, you see net income and stuff. Okay, so we now have net income. It was like fifty-four million stuff. Again, this is that those kinds of lines are things they tell everybody in the. Um, uh, so there, dividends. So what I care about is if we go down to the bottom, you see net income and you see dividends. You'll notice that net income and dividends are almost exactly the same. So mm-hmm. people ask, does the combined statements of equity ever matter? No, uh, this is the same as a shareholders changes in shareholders equity in the. Um, uh, in a 10K for a normal consolidated company. But because of that, we're seeing that they pay out 100% of their earnings immediately as dividends to NACO and stuff. This is none of this stuff's a secret. The company will tell you this. If you read the 10K carefully, you'll figure out all these things, all of that. But it's a really important um, thing that is uh, disclosed in great detail as an exhibit to the company. Mm-hmm. If we go back again, there sh- might be another one. Let's see if we see. Uh, try exhibit 95. Yeah. So exhibit 95, mine safety disclosures. So this is kind of a joke among investors because the way a 10K is laid out, you'll notice that there's mine safety disclosures for every company. So as you're going through the 10K, you get mine safety disclosures. And if you don't look at miners, there's never mine safety disclosures. So there's this item and you don't understand why you're reading about a supermarket or something. And suddenly the 10K says that there's, you know, mine safety disclosures and says like it's filed separately or whatever, you know, Um, or there's nothing to say about that. So here you can see where they were um, fined and stuff for citations, uh, how much. And, um, and then uh, like... um, there's some other so if we look it's specific to the each mine by mm-hmm. the way so if people can uh, who are not um, watching on the video can see that it's specific to each mine that they're operating um, also if you notice here I don't know if you notice but one thing that's fascinating is like when you read these sorts of things NACO's told us what the customers are and stuff and we know they're in Florida and whatever but this gives you the yeah, exact names that mm-hmm. you can look like for instance one of them you recognize that name right mm-hmm so I don't know for a fact that's that, that, that that's that company. Yeah. But the company name that you see there is a company that does orange groves uh, for orange juice and stuff. I love some OJ. In, um, in Florida. Florida. Yeah. And it's very likely, we don't know unless we go look at it up, that there's a quarry on their land and that... Um, they own a ton of land in Florida. Yeah. yeah very a lot. likely. Mm-hmm. And so we could just be tipped off of that's a fact from just looking at that. But also things like, well, Palm Beach aggregates is probably in Palm Beach. and But you could copy and paste each of these things. West Florida... Yeah, you you can copy and paste each of these things. That's true also with NACO. So NACO doesn't give us the name of every quarry, you would think. It's not in the 10K, but it is in an Exhibit 95. Mm -hmm. And if you noticed, I knew that those exhibits would be interesting and the certification letter and stuff wouldn't be, even if it doesn't give detail on what those are. 
because they were exhibits 95 and 99, which is where you want to look. You want to look at the end there and in the um, beginning too. The exhibits that aren't very interesting are the ones in the middle like that you've seen all the time, which are the certifications that you're used to. If you just read a lot of 10Ks and stuff, you'll see the same exhibits they do over and over again. But you can copy and paste those things. So if you look up, um, if you do that on other ones, like if you scroll up, there's detail that this is the stuff that's in the 10K normally. They do go through and explain what Falkirk is, um, what Camino is, all those sorts of things. But if you notice, there's web pages for those companies mm -hmm. and there's information about them. There's newspaper articles about them. Like if we do one, um, like Bitsy, for instance, and stuff, if you looked up, I think that Bitsy has had like um, uh, things written about over the years because it's a Navajo, if that's the one I'm thinking of, is the one that has Navajo... Um, nation and like there's protests and things like that and you know um uh there's just been articles written about it over time that's mm -hmm. useful that way and the same thing if we look up things like the mines and stuff like that you'll see things written in the local area about it so it's very good to have exact addresses and things like that and some of these exhibits include that stuff some companies include exhibits about like their list of their properties and things like that mm -hmm. if you look read the 10k a lot of people will do they'll just say uh, if you come across a line that says it, it, the exhibit whatever is incorporated by reference, people will just kind of ignore that. Whereas you should think, oh, well, if I want to learn more about this topic, I need to go find that exhibit. That's what you want to do. So, But I've talked to people who are like, oh, it doesn't have the list of properties. Then I go read the 10K and it says the exhibit whatever is incorporated by reference. There is a list of every property in great detail. It's yeah. actually more detail than ever. And some kind of, I don't want to say if they're sneaky companies or why they're doing it or whatever, some companies that don't want to attract a lot of investor attention, I think know that if they if they use almost all exhibits and incorporate them by reference, that people won't read them. Because the 10Ks get searched and stuff by different things and whatever, and a sure. lot of times the exhibits aren't being searched. Yeah, no. Yeah, right. everyone goes and, through the 10K. And then it's all computerized stuff and other things aren't tracking that. So be, because people are actually looking at Morningstar and Guru Focus and QuickFS and whatever, they're not capturing any of the stuff that's in the exhibits instead you know so if you had properties and things that are worth a lot more than your company is uh trading the market for and you don't want to attract activists and people then maybe you list all of your properties in an exhibit don't list it in your 10k you don't want to start like naco describes every mine in great detail at the beginning you would not want to do that if you're afraid of naco is a control company it's not afraid of this but if you were afraid that you owned only a small percent of your company and other people can make a raid on you and stuff then you would put it in exhibits mm -hmm. sure let's go back okay Let's take the so, type off because what about right. this filing right so, here? All right. 13 G's or 13 D depends <laughs> on what you're doing. I don't know if I care that much about them. Okay. Uh, so that draws a lot of attention from other people. Sure. I kind of don't know if it matters much to me. The, the three filings that I always read are 10 K, 10 Q and the uh, proxy. You don't, you don't just take a peek to see who owns a lot of the company. I would know from the proxy. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's so that's true. how I do that it. So true. I read those three. If it's not updated, this is a good place to get it. But yes, correct. but in general, I'm not that interested in very updated information as other people are. Uh, I care about reading all the information I have on the other one. In fact, I like to read old 10Ks and stuff better than have updates on exactly who the other shareholders in the company are now. One mistake I think some people make with Edgar is they start at the top, mm -hmm. as you would, and then go backwards and just read very recent stuff. And they and this shows up in things like, if you look at like Corner Berkshire and Fairfax and stuff, they will talk a lot about stuff. I noticed that's very recent from the time they start a thread or something, but no one went back a few years and found things that were old to explain things. Like sometimes people will say to me something about a company 
and they'll be like, I don't understand this or whatever. I'm like, well, if you go back to when they actually bought it, there's actually quite a lot of detail about this. Mm -hmm. Or like, they're like, I don't understand what's this court case. Well, in the legal proceeding section 10 years ago, there was detailed description of it. But now that it's just been something that's been appealed and whatever for 10 years, it gets like no mention in the company anymore. Do you have like an arbitrary amount of years that you go back and then kind of work your way through? No, I read the first one and the last one. Got it. So um, if we first 10K and the last 10K. Yeah, so let's give an example. Uh, we mentioned Arc before. We'll use Arc again. So uh, NACO's not a good one because it's uh, uh, spun off things and stuff. But you just type in ARKR, and then you find Arc, and then type in 10K. But again, it, there might be 10K SB. So let's see. We'll scroll down to the bottom. Oh, no, they got it. They switched it. 10, 10K405, uh, Edgar must have done that. Yeah, so it's, it's not going to be like, it's going to be like a text document, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah. it'll be a text document yeah, from back so then. So you do this one, yeah, text yeah. file. Yeah, these are the ones that, this is what Edgar looked like when you first started it. So uh, they're like the others. Everyone started filing around 93 to 96 or If something. I ever look up like a very old company, and when I mean mm-hmm. very old, I mean re- in relation to Edgar, they all look like this. Yeah, but, um, well, this is what they look like when I started investing, uh-huh. yeah. Um, and some ways I... Because I, I print them out and go through them and stuff. In many ways, it's better uh, than what Edgar looks like now because Edgar has all this weird stuff that's meant for... So there you go. Um, it gives the information about like what exactly their, um, their restaurants were and stuff mm-hmm. back then. And what you can see is there's been huge, huge changes at, at um, ARC over the years. So you have there restaurants that they opened in the 1970s. That's a 1,600-square-foot restaurant. Well, that's not a big restaurant at all. Seating mm-hmm. capacity is only 100. We know that ARC now has one where they have, I think, 400 indoor seats and 600 outdoor or something. But you also notice that they're all New York, right? So mm-hmm. as you scroll down, you see all these New York restaurants, right? Yeah, that's also And changed. then you had a change. Then you see this restaurant here, which is interesting because two of them are Faneuil Hall in uh, Boston. And they just said that the, you know, the number of tourists going there and stuff just isn't good enough now. And they've closed down their last thing there. So you can see that that they were in that since the 1980s uh, in the uh, attraction, not so much in the, uh, the these particular restaurants. But but they just close it down. So you mm-hmm. get more of a feel for how the company's changed over time. Yeah. And I've always talked about, I think you have a great ability to pull the story out of the numbers. And this is how you add context to the numbers and to get the story. Yeah. And if we go down, we can see like descriptions of the, so description of the business stuff. So this is all organized by the number of years. You can see how many restaurants they used to have compared to how many they have now. They actually had a lot. But it also gives descriptions of certain things that I would then highlight because they match up today. So if we go up a little bit to their first lines, of their description. Um, We've got properties, so we should go Right, up. but if we go up to the beginning of the description, uh, down a little bit from there. Let's yeah. Give it. After they list all their properties. Yeah. So restaurant expansion? Yeah. Okay. So they talk about 1995, the company opened its second in Union Station. They're still in Union Station with a restaurant. So there's different things that they moved to different um, places there. It's interesting that they mentioned something about Florida because they are in Florida now, but they weren't for a very long time there. They're Manhattan, which is another one. But one of the most interesting ones, they opened a major facility in Bryant Park, Manhattan. Bryant Park Grill and Outdoor Cafe. They're still there. So I was mentioning that. That was 400 seats with 620 outdoor. Um, then there's the New York, New York Casino and Hotel and all that. So you can go each year through this. Mm-hmm. But you find that stuff out. The other thing that's really good 
so you got to feel for what the company was like then and now. So if we just go to their financials, just scroll down to like their their um, income statement and stuff. While I, uh, there's the ages too. That's a good use of it. So you know who was there from all that time sure. ago and all that. Yeah. There's, most of them are still the same, same people. Yeah. yeah. So what's great here is you go to the 10K, it actually includes the information going back further usually. So many companies put information in like arc did here that's a five-year summary and that's why you always want to go back to the oldest possible filing because once you're there you may find references further back i've seen ones where a company gave 15 year financial summary mm -hmm. so you think you're getting 1995 stuff but you're getting stuff going way back into the 80s and everything because now it's only basic financial data but it gives you that right there mm -hmm. so you can see like that they made a profit every single year back then it was a meaningful profit and then when you look at it on like a basis of like per share and stuff if we look down here the number of shares hasn't changed a ton for arc it has changed somewhat i guess so um arc right now is about a ten dollars what is it arc's about ten dollars stock yeah and about a 30 million dollar market cap so mm -hmm. they have about the same number of shares outside as i was saying today as back then so if you notice they were making about 35 to uh, let's say 30 to 60 cents a year they were making five years in a row, but that was back in the early nineties. Okay. So that's interesting because, um, if we look at that and then look at today, we're like, Oh, this company has a long history of earning amounts that are meaningful to, to today. Cause I said, it's like a $10 stock or something. So that it was, it's earning as of, you know, 30 years ago, it was earning 3% of what the stock price is today to 6%. And it really tells you about, I mean, we know, because we just, you know, scrolled up a little bit that the management's basically the same today. Yep. So it just tells you about some you of the know, locations are exactly yeah. the same. The management's they've been exactly in the game the for same. a very long time. They've been doing this for a very long time. They're very competent in what they do. Yeah. So we could look at the proxy statement then for another stock. So why don't we go back and look at it? We could do NACO for the proxy statement because it'll be a more involved proxy statement than ARC. So if we just type in NC, there's a few ways that you can look this up. If they did this right, let's see, just scroll down is the easiest way. If you keep scrolling down till you get, uh, yeah, then just next 40 till you get a, um, yeah, just do the def 14A. Yeah. So we just, uh, so DEF 14A in this case should be good for us. It may not be in some cases. So this is schedule 14A. For some companies, this will be a little complicated because there'll be lots of amendments and things to it. And so that you'll see this preliminary one, then there's an amended one, some amend it repeatedly. So you may be getting something that has kind of blanks in it and stuff, but Anyway, you look here, they have a description of all of their, inf so I always read this for every company, their grants and their, we could just look at the, um, the uh, table of contents, right? So it has information, NACOS is really involved. It has information like succession planning, hedging and speculative trading policies, board composition, all this stuff. So when you read foreign ones, I don't know how much you've read like in the UK or something, it, they're kind of done by the board the annual report and they talk a lot about what the board does the board's committees their thoughts about all this stuff this stuff is all put in the u.s in the proxy statement so it's not that the u.s for big companies is necessarily giving you a lot less detail than foreign companies they're not putting it in the annual report they're giving the 10k is separate from the um proxy statement and so you get equity compensation and things like that so if you click here under let's tr just click under equity compensation yeah you can go here and you can see how much people were paid and, and how um, uh, they received and, and information like that. The, the best um, table here, the tables that matter the most in the proxy statement that you always see is there'll be one table that gives their pay and what form it came in. And then the other thing that you'll get is who owns what stock mm -hmm. and the board members will be listed there and the CEO and stuff. So um, if we go to, let's see, scroll down a bit. 
and see what has information. Yeah. So this is specifically about change of control and things like that. It gives you information about what would happen under a change of control. Um, some of this information can be in the 10K instead. So like you can list your shareholders and how much they own and stuff in a 10K instead of putting it in a proxy statement. And some do that. Um, we own a stock where they do that. They don't file any proxy statements. Um, instead, they put all that information in the 10K, which mm -hmm. they can do. I think it's always really interesting reading employment contracts. You okay. can see special perks that maybe the CEO gets, like if he gets to bring his wife to a certain convention or yeah. if he were to leave the company, what that looks like or what his non-compete looks like, everything like that. Right. All that information is included. So there'll be like an 8K usually will be how they'll do that. And if you see that there's an employment contract, a lot of people just notice they signed an employment contract. But as an exhibit will be included the employment contract and you can read in detail what it's like. Wife or husband gets perks. Not just saying husband's the CEO or yeah. Yeah. Have to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the other way that I would use uh, Egger, if we can go back, is, um, let's see. Yeah, go back further. Then go to the company search again. Yeah. I could show you this one. Let's see if I can do it. So, okay, go back. Type in B-A-N-C-I-N. Yeah, bank insurance. There we go. So bank insurance is not a public company anymore. But there is a filing there that's of interest uh, after it's been sold and stuff. So there. So for those who don't know, there's a securities registration termination, that 1512G. So once you see that, that basically cuts off what would be interest to most people. From that point on, it all you know is that the company isn't currently filing. So you could see that here anyway because it's been 2010. Mm -hmm. But that's usually the last filing you'll see in a company that's no longer filing. So if we go down, though... We can see there, DEFM14A. Yeah. If we go on that one and then we go to the full document, you'll see some interesting things. So this is a 14A, um, but yeah, keep going down. Talks about the merger. The merger yeah. yeah. So if you keep going down, there's a letter to the shareholders asking them to vote and stuff on this merger. So this is not an annual proxy statement that you would have normally. Oh, so stop. So here you have the summary term sheet, the parties, the required vote, blah, blah, blah. The stuff that matters that you would care about is what were the recommendations of the special committee and the board, the fairness of the merger reasons for the recommendation, the financing, things like that. But the most interesting stuff is if we go down to after special factors, background. So that's usually the one you want. So click on background. So this tells the whole story of the acquisition. Mm -hmm. And I'm just using a company I was invested in and stuff and, and using one that's um, done that way. But you can find this for any company. So what will happen is a lot of people will tell me about the comps on something or whatever, but they won't realize, well, if Kroger bought this company, you can actually go find the background to the deal and have a detailed discussion. Like, here we go. It tells you what dates. So they made an unsolicited pre preliminary non-binding letter of interest from the shareholders uh, that expressed it to the board. And they tell you what day it was on and stuff, right? Then they say it didn't result in a definite proposal. Then they, were, they contacted the lawyer and then the lawyer said this. And then the year, and then um, a week later or whatever, there was a formal thing. And then the, why did the... Um, Board say, we're not going to do this right now. And then later, after the SEC stuff was dropped, the board entertained it. And then why did they go back and forth with them and all of that? Who did they hire? All that stuff. And this is much more useful, I would say, in understanding things. One that stood out to me, if you remember, was the KLXE thing. I was literally just going to yeah. say, my favorite thing to read on spinoffs is the background to, right. to the whole deal. 
mm-hmm. because it goes really into it. And it says who's involved, which investment yeah. bank, how they valued, like the certain comps they use and everything right. like that. So the fascinating one with KLXE, uh, do we have a stock price on KLXE? Uh, what was interesting in that case is Boeing bought. So it was a combination of a, a um, uh, sort of d- distributor of stuff that had to do with the um, oil business or fracking and stuff and uh, airlines, you know, and air. And because so those two things together, um, they wanted to get rid of one of the businesses and, and they wanted to sell themselves, basically. So what I thought was interesting is because Boeing bought it, mm-hmm. there is not just detail about here's what we were wanting to do, a spinoff. There was detail about why um, they didn't buy the whole company. Mm-hmm. And what you notice, so they're, just, they're, they're um, described as different companies like company A, company B, company C, right? They do that, who the bidders were. But anyway, if you read it closely, what you'll notice is that everyone said, we don't want to buy your company. Because you have this energy business. And then they offered them like different ways of like sometimes it said it, they couldn't value and stuff. But some of them outright said we don't want to own it. And then they did certain things where they tried to get someone else to buy it, uh, to buy the energy thing. So they tried to get anyone to buy it. No one would buy it. They seemed to try to even get financial buyers and whatever stuff. So it was clear before the spinoff, if you read the documents, that many, many companies had done some due diligence on it and would not touch KLXE but they wanted the um, air part of it. So there was some reason why that was. And then, you know, the, the stock drops 90% or whatever might have been hints of that before, you know, because the company may not say that the only reason we're doing the deal this way is because we can't sell this to anyone. And it will, with the situation, I think there were potential buyers for this company, but management didn't like the offers that were on the table. They felt like it was so that's interesting. Yeah. That's what management said. Yeah. If you read the, the, if you read it, very literally what the SEC document said, I think there were one or two cases where that was true. They didn't like the offer. I think in all the other cases, there was no offer. There was never going to be an offer that included the energy company. Um, I think that, and I also think that management considered what if we split it off and like you just buy this and then we sell this other part and where we just get a financial buyer for the other part. And I don't think that that uh, really was going to go through either. So I think they felt, management felt, that none of the buyers who you could find either to buy the whole thing or to buy one or the other uh, was offering a fair enough price. But then obviously when they went to the market as a separately traded company, I'm sure management also feels that this isn't the right price. Mm -hmm. So management obviously disagrees completely with what um, various buyers would have been and also with what the, what the private market value was of the company and what the public market value is. Management feels it's worth more than either of those things, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's in great detail there if you do that. Yeah, the background to the deals are always my favorite to read. Yeah. And then you also get a fairness opinion, which people use for the comps. I've noticed that the only thing... You go down to fairness opinion of Raymond James in this case? Okay. So if you go through that, it gives detail about what they looked at and everything. And you keep scrolling down and you'll see more information about it. Um, what they do is they um, uh, people from everything else that I see will just use the comps. So they're just looking at what deals there were in the past. So if you keep scrolling down, you should probably come across it. Yeah. So it tells you this is very standard. You're going to see it everywhere. Premium analysis, which is useless. Uh, but then the other one, selected public company deals. So you notice an analysis. So you notice they compare them to Gainsco, yeah. for instance. Yeah. And then if you keep going down further. Yeah. So usually what you'll see is the only part that people take out of this. I don't even know if they read the rest of it. Is this area that says multiple. Right. So it shows you the multiples at which this company sold. 
um, by the merger and stuff. So if you notice this company on their estimate of it, so uh, so that's selected public companies, and then um, and then there's the actual amount for yeah. So and then implied by the merger. So mm-hmm. the merger is this one. So if you notice what um, uh, they actually sold bank insurance at was 0.9 times tangible book and 5.5 times earnings. However, their estimate, of course, is lower, 6.1 and 8.5, but the estimate was prepared by the people probably buying the company because <laughs> the insiders are buying this one out. But still, um, so if you notice, that is a premium to like the book value of the other insurers and stuff like that. Um, but if you go, it, so it, by doing that, you can see what they trade at. But then below that, you might have, yes, yeah, selected transaction analysis. So this one's really fascinating. This is the one that I think people take usually. They copy and paste this into Value Investors Club and stuff. So what they do is they look up the past deals in the industry, mm-hmm. and then they see this. Um, there's also information service companies and things that put this stuff together for you. But if you're not working at a big firm or something, this is what you use instead, and I think this is probably more accurate. Um, you get to see what deals were done. So this is a list of insurance deals done between February and July 2009-2010. Uh, Again, right after the financial crisis, so that may be yeah. part of the reasons why the sure. valuations could be lower. <laughs> and and what's interesting, of course, is that when I see the reverse prepared companies, the the fairness opinion goes further and further back Not to find that. stuff to yeah, yeah right. to justify the high multiples mm-hmm. that they were used. So this was a low multiple, so they probably wanted to use more, more recent stuff. To be fair, they also have a ton of deals there. Sure. But what you can do instead is find more comparable deals for further back, yeah. which is what I've seen done when they want to do something at a high price. And then you have so here they do even details like statutory surplus, um, and uh, and then you know. Uh, um, and, and then also like uh, the other enterprise value things that they have. So these are were deals for entire companies being sold. So if you see, these are sort of like um, the ones that they chose to do here is the statutory surplus one, and the um, uh, and then also they have the uh, using it instead of using the reported earnings. So they're saying basically it was like 1.4 times book and 8.9 times um, net income and stuff at the levels that it was at, and that that's um, uh, in line with like the mean ones. Uh, if you can see the mean over there and on the right is 1.4 and 10.8. So, you know, it's close. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll notice it's always close. Uh, however, they chose to prepare it. Sure. In the well, that's opinions, why they do it, right? uh, it always works out to be fairly close yeah. within something. They never say that the average company in this industry goes for three times, uh, for, goes for 10 times EBITDA and we're selling the company. I mean, if you're, not, if, you're, if you're not familiar with what investment bankers do, it's exactly this. Yeah, you know, put together these two. So, and stuff so like that. it's interesting. On the other hand, I would point out though to people who use this information for um, valuing other companies in the industry. Remember that the problem is they. T- I like that for knowing the, what the deals are, and knowing the history. But you should not use the same peer group that the investment bankers use because the investment bankers created the peer group of deals and created the multiples and stuff of defining the industry and everything like that specifically to justify this deal. Right, mm-hmm. they people the board bankers and, and are the people, paid to sell is what you're basically telling me. Yeah. So what I mean is they could have picked best. any insurance industry. They could have picked any insurance things that they wanted. They could have picked gone back further in years or whatever. You wouldn't necessarily want to do that. And what I notice is most people just take one of these like this and use everything that they had. So they'll say, okay, I'll use the same deals and stuff that they did, or they'll price it exactly off of some deal that happened in that case. Um, but in this case, remember, for instance, that the deal was done with management owning almost all of the company, and then mm-hmm. it was a take 
take private by management. I don't think management taking a company private is all ever a good comp. <laughs> no, like the not. two NASCAR ones were done that way and yeah. stuff like that. I don't think that's an accurate one into as for selling it because we know in some cases like that for instance the nascar ones if they open themselves up to an auction which they said they wouldn't do that by the way that's the same case with bank insurance they said as part of the deal we won't we're going to buy the company or you can say we can't buy the company but we're not opening up a possibility that we'll sell to anyone else so because of that they couldn't shop a deal around mm-hmm. you know so same thing in that we're like would other nascar company tracks buy the ones that went private Maybe, but they were never offered the deal because the families weren't going to sell out to them. Um, so this is a really good one, the background to the deal. And I like that a lot uh, to use. And I use this all the time um, to find uh, information about comparables and things like that. And also just what, you know, I, I think the background to the deal is the more interesting part. Yeah, me too. Yeah, the background mm-hmm. to the merger, which gives you in detail what happened and how many bidders there were and things like that. Like I've said, I've seen ones that go into the alphabet to the point where there were 20 different companies they showed their books to and stuff you know and it's interesting and even ones where they're like they apparently there was a better offer of some kind but they didn't really pursue it and you know mm-hmm. cool do you want to go over anything else on edgar i think we pretty much no everything. the ones that i read every single time are 10k 10q 14a got it um you said that you like looking at the uh the 13g and stuff like that i do yeah well i'm just kind of curious to see who it's but it will be in the proxy and a lot sometimes they'll actually put in the uh 10k who owns majority of the company as well? If it's like a control position, or yeah. I guess a larger position. So you can position. see it as of the last annual report in who owns what yeah. percent of the company. But yeah, you can see updated information on who's been buying and selling there. As there's also insider information and stuff there under what four. Um, I think form four will have mm. stuff about that. Got it. Cool. Well, thank you everybody so much for tuning in with Jeff and I on the Focus Compounding Podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube and on the podcast side of things. We appreciate all the support, and we will see you in the next podcast. Take care. Hey, this is Andrew Kuhn, and that was the Focus Compounding Podcast. To get even more content from me and Jeff, sign up for the Focus Compounding app. The Focus Compounding app costs $7.95 a month. It comes with a bunch of 2,000-word articles from Jeff each week, a fresh batch of five-minute videos from the both of us, along with one bonus extra-long episode of the podcast each Saturday and immediate access to our complete backlog of 200 plus episodes. To sign up, go to focuscompounding.com slash app or wherever apps are sold. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next podcast.